0: Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today we're so glad to have with us Pastor Costy Hinn. Costi is the executive pastor at Mission Bible Church in Tustin, California. He's married to Christine. They have two children, Titus and Grace, with another son due in May. Um, After growing up in the center of the prosperity gospel movement, Costi is the nephew of Benny Hinn. uh, By God's grace, he found his way out. Uh, He's currently finishing his Master of Divinity degree with uh, Midwestern uh, with plans to pursue his doctorate after that. And we're going to hear his remarkable story today and learn some more about this dear brother. Costi, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
1: I appreciate you having me, Jared. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you know, I think um, just to get right to um, what might have hooked people in in seeing the promos, if you could share, um, you know, some of your story with us. Give us your your background, kind of the movement you grew up in, what that experience was like, and uh, how you came to know Christ.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I grew up in uh, the prosperity gospel and the faith healing world. That was the norm, and as normal as anyone could ever view normal is how I had that <laughs> whole life uh in at, through my lens that was just life we had it all and uh so growing up we we're up in Canada and my dad is is Benny my uncle Benny I still call him uncle Benny uh his brother and uh so my father was a pastor up there after uh working with my uncle down in Florida and so planted a church and we lived kind of a dual life which would be the local church up in Canada, and then traveling with my uncle as well on the Crusades, which he started doing a lot in the 90s more than ever. And so it was a blast. I mean, just to tell you, we traveled the world (laughs) as a family, and then we had a local church as well. So we were getting the best of both worlds in our view. And uh, the teaching style was everything that people see nowadays with the the word of faith, or kind of uh, the slang, name it and claim it movement. And And then the prosperity gospel. So in our view, the teaching is God wants you healthy and wealthy. That's his highest priority for you. Uh, Certainly, we view what John would say uh, when he intros his letter, and this is kind of a popular phrase you'll hear uh, if you read through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll catch when he says, I wish above all that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospereth.
2: And that's
1: our verse. That's what we hold to. And in our view, that's God's word saying, God wants you healthy. He wants you wealthy, not only spiritually, but physically and to have everything you want. And so uh, I really did. And so my dad (laughs) uh, built a a beautiful mansion and it was evidence of God's goodness to us in our view. And I'll I'll, I'll stop saying in our view and I'll just talk like it is affirmed and then talk about what the Bible says after, Uh, it was a 10,000 square foot monstrous house, and we lived the dream. When we traveled, we traveled on a private Gulfstream jet and stayed in the nicest hotels in the world, the ones you see on Travel Channel, (laughs) and uh, by the time I got into high school, I was driving a Benz to school. Oh, my word. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Here comes the hand (laughs) guy.
1: They're, exactly. And when most kids are, are working summer jobs to buy a beat up truck, which uh, I'll take now any day over events, but the, you know, I'm, I'm rolling up in a, a 300 and it's just not, not a good thing. Now, were you decked so, to the
0: nines as well? Did you have like the cuff links and everything? Were you walking down the, the high school hallway with like a, you know, Versace suit on or something?
1: Well, Sort of. So back then, Abercrombie <laughs> oh, okay. Abercrombie was like really really cool and hip in Canada. Yeah, it's not like it. It wasn't like it is in the U.S. where everybody wore it or whatever. So I would come in. I'll actually tell you, I had a pair of yellow Abercrombie pants that we got. Overseas, Whoa. And I would roll those with like other name brands and. Um, I was younger, so it was like that, but I will tell you this, Jared, by the time I got to working with my uncle, which is after I graduated high school, my undershirts were Versace. That's a true story. I'm not <laughs> lying. So, Versace um,
0: undershirts. I didn't even know I, they made that, undershirts.
1: Well, yeah, if you if you get the v-necks and you get okay. them a size too low, so if they're a little tight, you can wear them under your your, your clothes. So, oh, okay. um that, can I'm, I'm learning things warm.
0: I'm learning you know don't don't ever uh accuse this podcast of not being educational
1: that's right so there are Versace undershirts and I wore them and so uh going through high school here's the irony I got expelled from our charismatic private school in eighth grade and then because I was I was pretty outlandish with my behavior I would act out a lot and a lot of that I'm not I, I'm a sinner and I was a sinner. And so I, I'm responsible for my own behavior. In that though, uh, there was a lot of bullying. And so there, there were kids that would come up and say, Hey, you're Benny Hinn's nephew. Your dad's Henry Hinn. Your dad's a false teacher. Your uncle's a false teacher. And I would yell at these kids back. Here was, here was my playground banter. I would say, well, you know what? At least I go to a church that has the power of God. You go to a dead church because the kid (laughs) would be a Baptist or a Lutheran or a Presbyterian. So we viewed all of you guys yeah. as the dead churches. We had the power, we had the second blessing, the second work of grace. We spoke in tongues, we could heal, we did miracles, and we had all the money. And you guys were happy to sit around in your suits and ties, fill the pews and sing hymns, and then go home after. So that <laughs> well, that in your defense, there's a little
0: bit of truth in in, in that for a lot of churches. <laughs>
1: sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we there's a lot we can learn nowadays from the, the zeal of many of the Pentecostals, but for in our extreme circle, that was my, my comeback was you guys are dead. We have the spirit you don't. And so I tended to act out a bit and cause a little trouble. So I ended up at a Christian reformed high school. Oh my, no joke. Um, and they were so patient and so kind with me as I rolled up in a band every day to school with my sister and so uh, I graduate high school move on and I was I was a decent baseball player I wanted to go to college and play but in prosperity gospel and word of faith teaching one of the best ways to get what you want from God is to sow a seed and give something to him and then unlock his blessings and your inheritance and so In order to get a college baseball scholarship or to have the Lord open the door for baseball, I chose to, in quote, put God first by serving my uncle and what we would kind of view as picking up a towel and being a a table waiter, being a servant, and honoring him as a man of God and honoring God, putting him first, and then trusting the Lord to fulfill my baseball dream. So I graduate high school, and I start working with Uncle Benny. And that was the season where the dial turned up mm-hmm. on the prosperity lifestyle. I drove a Hummer. It was it had TVs in it. I had the chrome package on it, 22s. I thought I was a celebrity. We went to every, you know, staying at hotels like the Burj Al Arab in Dubai, the big hotel shaped like a sail. Uh, I we stayed in the Royal Suite. The bill was twenty five thousand a night
2: for oh the hotel my room, wow. and
1: that was the lifestyle. So I was his assistant. My job was simple: I carried his briefcase. I did some help administratively with checking in or checking out of hotels, and then I was a catcher during the crusades. So I would catch the people being slain in the spirit Whoa! And yeah, so there's still <laughs> some footage out there. Uh, I don't have a beard. I'm like 19 in the footage. But in India and other places where I'm, I'm catching people, and it's, just, <laughs> it's surreal to look back, that was my job. That's what I got paid a lot of money to do. And uh, it was all very much not in line. But one of the moments that I remember vividly, and I actually have a picture of it still. I'm in a Canadian hockey shirt. I'm standing on these rocks, and I had a suite in Greece at the Grand Resort in Laganitsi. It was a beautiful suite. I had my own pool. We were there for a layover on our way to Israel to do some tours in the Holy Land with people. And I was looking out over this body of water, and I had no idea what the body of water really was. But I, looking back now, I found out it's the Aegean Sea. It's a cove set on the Aegean. And I'll tell you what, man, at 19, I literally thought I had made it. Yeah. Oral Roberts, not long before, had laid hands on me, and there was some prophecy that I was going to be the next thing. My uncle's mantle, kind of very Elisha, Elijah style, mm-hmm. was going to fall on me, and I was going to get a double portion anointing. I was the firstborn in of all the cousins. There's all these very ethereal and uh, kind of subjective prophetic things that everybody was saying. I was working with Uncle Benny. I was going to be this and going to be that. So I'm standing there at 19, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, I got it. Like, this is it. I'm living the dream. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm next. And I'm standing on the Aegean Sea, which is exactly where Paul had sailed and done missionary work. If you remember, there's that part of the body of water that he sailed on is the Aegean Sea. And the irony is I'm thinking we're preaching the gospel. I'm thinking that I'm anointed and doing all that God would intend anybody to do who's doing ministry and in the ultimate fashion too. And how many centuries prior the very apostle Paul is is going through what is a literal hell on earth just to get the gospel where it needs to be. And now I'm just living the dream and it's all on donations of people.
0: Yeah. um, I, You know, I think a lot of people would want to know, I you know, certainly I want to know in, in the midst of that, you know what was there anything troubling you about the ministry aspect of it I know you're enjoying the lifestyle and that sort of thing but um I mean what, was there enough element of of reality or authenticity to um you know the you know Pentecostal type experiences charismatic experiences or did you just know you know this is a this is a sham or you know, how did that work out in, in, in your mind?
1: There were moments of questioning when people wouldn't get healed and we had promised that everybody was going to get healed that night. There were other moments where I saw things, whether it be to do with finances or, or various practices. We don't need to get into all of that, but um, that I knew was contrary to what would be, co- what would be considered integrity biblically but those things would be overshadowed so quickly by uh, you know, a remarkable worship service, let's say, or a, a beautiful moment where what appeared to be somebody being healed or somebody crying and running up to us and saying, you have no idea the impact you've had on my life. And so every moment that was filled with questions had a an equal and opposite reaction, let's say, in testimonies or in feeling something or seeing something that I thought was legitimate. And so it really was a, a seesaw back and forth, back and forth through questioning and then also what appeared to be verifiable uh, experiences. But yeah, all along, in the back of my mind, I used to question a lot. And I would ask my dad and I would ask my uncle questions. And the responses i would normally get with things would be don't one number one don't question god number two don't put god in a box we can't contain him you can't predict him and then number three if there are things that are not right we never touch the lord's anointed which in our interpretation was don't speak about or even question a man of god Mm -hmm. therefore uh, you'd be touching him and subject to divine judgment and consequences so You've got a formula there for a gag order, and that's why I've often referred to it. I don't mean to be rude or extreme. When I call the prosperity gospel uh, a bit like a ministry mafia, it's not that they're violent or or mean-spirited people. It's simple. There's a gag order. You don't go against the grain or against the system, and there's a formula built in to keep that in line. And people really are—I was, too— Genuinely scared that God would strike me with cancer or uh, cause my future wife to be barren. That was often a curse that we would put on people, wow. quote, unquote, curse. And I, I didn't want those things. So, yeah, it was a lot of questions, but a lot of fear as well.
0: Yeah. Was it any, any of it real? I mean, did you experience things that you thought, yeah, I mean, this is a legitimate healing or, or a real movement?
1: great question so never in the crusades did I see a what I would view as an organic or a biblical miracle that instant moment where it's rise and walk right away I saw a lot of process what I would call process healing where people would be limped across the stage um, or various wheelchairs would be put up on the stage but you never saw the people actually healed out of the wheelchair Um, but I can tell you this off the stage outside of the crusade in daily church life and just being a, what I thought I was a Christian for all those years. I certainly, and any, anybody who reads the Bible and is a true believer, you got to be crazy to say God doesn't heal. He totally heals. I saw many, many friends and family, uh, both my mom's side and others, lots of people go through, uh, great experiences where, uh, we knew one couple that couldn't have a baby they were praying and asking the Lord to open that door for years it didn't and then they got pregnant and it wasn't a scientific procedure uh, the Lord intervened and that's a beautiful thing and we had a dear friend whose cancer went into remission and was gone and never came back and they died a completely different death of a different disease the Lord removed the cancer and we believe that they were healed but those are what I would say that that's normal healing Christians believing in faith and trusting the Lord and God graciously and sovereignly mercifully healing but never was there a in Jesus name cancer go and you know a tumor was just disappearing or a a cancer report was immediately gone or a real crippled person got up and was <clears throat> jumping and leaping and praising God like the Bible describes there's a lot of Uh, you know, I have a pinched nerve, or I've got some neck pain, or just, and I'm not diminishing those ailments. People are in pain, and I understand that. But as far as those wonderful, miraculous things, in all my years, I did not see what we would say is a a Jesus miracle in person uh, by a faith healer, saying, in Jesus' name, be healed. And instantaneously, he's just making it happen. Uh, but sure, I absolutely have seen people experience God's work in their life.
0: Yeah. So, what made you turn the corner, so to speak, on on the health and wealth type teaching? Was it a particular event, or just the the you know the Lord working on your heart through these experiences?
1: It was. It was all of you, dead Baptists. <laughs> you all saved me. Oh wow. I went. <laughs> I went to. I went to Dallas Baptist University after finishing working with my uncle. I ended up uh, at Dallas Baptist University playing baseball. So the Lord did open the door. I don't think it was because I served Uncle Benny. I think <laughs> he had other plans. <laughs> but
0: you sowed a seed, Kosti.
1: I, And it happened. So Coach <laughs> Heepner, Coach Dan Heefner is the coach there at Dallas Baptist University – Um, he's one of the best coaches in all of division one baseball. He's also the best disciple maker, I would say in all of division one baseball. Mm -hmm. And I joined the team at Dallas Baptist. And this guy is, he's straight out of navigators, like knows Bible, he'll quote Romans for you. And he starts taking us through these Bible studies and leaking in major doctrinal, I would call them doctrine bombs, but he's Mm -hmm. doing it in a really simple and subtle way. So Example, Never forget it. We're all huddled up right before we go to play. There was that particular day because one of our shortstops who's in the big league still now, Ryan going was there. The Yankees were there to see him. There's a Yankee scout in the crowd and all the guys are freaking out. Cause it's like, man, if you hit a home run today, maybe they'll notice you and whatever. <laughs> so he, he tells us all, listen, calm down. Proverbs 21, one, the heart of the King, it's like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He'll turn it wherever he wishes. Guys, listen. to him. God controls kings. He controls scouts. He's in control of everything. He's sovereign. So you go out there and you play baseball and you have fun. Don't worry about the future. You can't control that, but you can control how you play today. So go enjoy the game and let God be God and you do you. Wow. And I remember standing there going, what in the world? <laughs> sovereignty?" <laughs> Okay, cool. Whatever, coach. How do I get on the good side of sovereignty? I need to make sovereignty work for me. <laughs> right. that, that is, is my mentality is, no, God, you're you're the magic genie. I rub you right. You work for me. I get what I want. That's hmm. the formula we've been operating on. And I still remember that, Jared. I, I would refer to that as the seed of sovereignty. It was planted in my life that God is sovereign. And I go on through DBU. I, I struggle with hypocrisy. I'm living like the world, but I'm I'm also being pulled by this conviction that I should be living different, that there's something better, that there's a different way, but I'm really still caught up in the life. I'm still driving my Hummer, and I'm enjoying that college life too. So really walk in the line of hypocrisy there. I graduate Dallas Baptist. I meet a girl. She's a blue-collar, amazing gal. My father-in-law's a, an iron worker. My mother-in-law's a school teacher. She, my wife, my now wife, but at the time, this gal that I meet is working to put herself through school at Azusa Pacific University, has no idea what the prosperity gospel is, doesn't even know who my uncle is, is just <laughs> happy to learn about God, read her Bible, and get to know more about being a Christian. So it couldn't be more opposite. Uh, She's a server at TGI Fridays and pays all her own bills. (laughs) And I'm a brat from the prosperity gospel that's been living large off donations. So (laughs) she she comes into my life. And the first concern that my family has is that she's not spirit-filled because she doesn't speak in tongues. So I pull out my Baptist education. And I said, no, no, no! Don't you start that, guys. Come on. <laughs> and I, even now, I've got a pretty cordial relationship with my parents, and I'll tell you at the end a bit of a testimony about something going down with that. But, um, but I said, stop! You can't say that. We're all we all have the Holy Spirit of conversion, and I'm spitting out all the things I learned in my New Testament classes or anything else, and I'm going, no, no, and 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 you can't say that she doesn't have the Spirit if she doesn't speak in tongues and you can't say she's not filled or baptized with the spirit. So my my family and I are at odds all of a sudden over this gal and I start thinking to keep the peace, let's just get her speaking in tongues. Just do it. That's <laughs> it'll be fine. So so we take her
0: Well, she goes to Azusa, her... right? So
1: I you're right <laughs> a little different than the Azusa movement, but yeah. Okay. Um yeah, so over here on the West Coast, it's a really good school for nursing. That's all she was oh, going for. Oh, interesting. And so, uh, yeah. So she, bless her heart, she goes to one of my uncle's services. And remember, everything's peaceful. I'm, I'm not at odds with the doctrines we teach at large. I'm just, I'm just thinking. Let's get her, let's get her a little indoctrinated here. If she can just get like five percent charismatic, we're good. As my parents <laughs> will be told. Let's go. So she goes to a service. My uncle pray nothing happens. And I'm going, okay, next. So we go to one of my dad's services and they lay hands on her and she's so cute in her little heels. She like, she falls over and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her. She's a very logical woman. And I'm thinking she is probably wondering if there's a catcher back there that was, and so she falls thinking she has to, and she's trying to speak in tongues and it's not working. And she feels awkward. She's just feels so forced. What is what? why do you teach this? I, why do I have to do this to to be spirit filled? And then the final straw is I get invited to speak at this youth conference and they said, Hey, and I, I was engaged to her at this point, they said, Hey, bring your fiance. We'll have her stay somewhere else. You stay with the pastor's family. And then we want her to kind of share her testimony as part of it. We were getting married like a month later. So, we travel, everything we do, everything proper. There's nothing, you know, impure. And we go to this youth conference, and all these teenagers are there. And at the end, this lady gets up. She was, she was a pastor there, I guess. And she says, "Costi, I want you to fill them all with the Holy Spirit to end the conference." I said, "Oh, everything's been going so good. Maybe we'll just pray to close." And she's like, "No, I want them to get the Spirit." So <laughs> I, I get up there. And at this point I know what the Bible sort of says. I've been indoctrinated at least a little bit in a Baptist education and I'm very uncomfortable. So I pray a general prayer. Oh Holy Spirit, fill them and use them for your glory. Point them to Jesus. Help all these young people be, you know, gospel witnesses in Jesus name. Amen. I close the prayer. She comes up and grabs the mic and she goes, "Now, begin to lift up your voices and lift up your hands and just begin to utter the words that come to your mind. The spirit is here. He's going to fall and you're going to speak in other tongues as evidence of your salvation. And I just kind of went off to the side and thought, well, I didn't do my job. She'll do it for me. Wow. And I look, I look over and my wife has her hands up here and she has a little hands up in the air and she starts, she's moving her mouth and she's going, ba 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 And she's trying so hard, so hard to speak in tongues. And this moment of protectiveness comes over me, and I'm thinking, mm. this is getting out of control. This is crazy. This woman is doing everything she can to get this. It's like we we've we've, have, we've got tunnel vision over an experience, and I there's got to be something wrong here, Lord. Like just show us, lead us, guide us, just point us in the right direction. And she's trying. I'm thinking, well, maybe she's getting it too. And there's this back and forth again as the experience versus the logic of what the Bible says, all that. And we're going home. And when we get there, we get back to my parents' house. She's crying. And I said, what's wrong? She said, I just can't measure up. It's not working. I don't have it. And so we go to the scriptures. And 1 Corinthians twelve thirty, where Paul's unpacking the gifts. He says, not all speak in tongues, do they? And he's explaining what the gift looks like. And it hit us like a ton of bricks. Number one, the Holy Spirit gives. We don't teach at altars and we can't pay a tuition to get it. And we can't go chase some anointed man of God down to get. The Holy Spirit sovereignly bestows those things. And also that not all I I don't have every spiritual gift and neither do you and not everyone's going to do everything and so there again was another domino falling Um, shortly after and I'll get to it quick we end up leaving a door opens that same week after for an opportunity to join uh, a church here in California that was a church plant and we move out we got married moved out here and early on, as a youth pastor, the pastor had to go somewhere. He said, hey, I need you to preach. I said, okay. He said, I need you to preach John 5. And the church brought me. We were a church plant. And you know how church plants are. You're taking everybody. Like, no one's worried that I'm a <laughs> right. We're just, I, if I can grow the thing from 10 kids to 20, okay, fine. Let's get some families. You're trying to survive. You're trying to find a building. The, all the fun things that a church plant entails, we're in the middle of it. And so no one's worried, like, well, what about the hiring process? Did you, that cost these doctrine? It was like, hey, do you believe the Bible is from God? Yup. Revelation. Is it symbolic or literal? I don't know. Okay, great. We'll sign you up. <laughs> oh, my word. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's just come one, come all. And the Lord, it was perfect because the situation allowed me and the church, all of us, to grow together. We're not what we used to be, of course. But I preached John 5, and a commentary hits my desk. And it, of all people, it's John MacArthur's commentary. I don't really know who he was at the time. I'm like, okay, I, whatever. And I'm reading, I'm making observations. And in John 5, The Healing at the Pool of Bethesda, as I'm going through verse by verse and making observations, I begin to see certain things. So I thought I saw something. Then I go, well, let me check the commentary. And sure enough, this was the big bomb that caused me to weep at my desk and that's the if there's a moment that the scales fell completely this was it jesus finds a man and he's been in his ailment sitting there 38 years there's a multitude of sick people there at the pool and jesus targets one not all so i'm going well why would you do that lord you heal everybody all the time what, what's the deal why well, that's confusing And then the next thing is, Jesus immediately just says, well, do you want to get well? And the guy's going, oh, I've been here in my position. Like, what in the world? Paraphrasing, he's going, are you serious? (laughs) Look at me. And Jesus goes, well, pick up your pallet and walk. And the Bible says immediately he got up. I'm going, well, that's a healing, if I've ever heard of a healing, immediately when Jesus says that it's going to happen. But here's the part that rocked me to my core. The man goes off and remember the Pharisees, they come and go, Hey, it's the Sabbath who in the world told you, you can pick up your pallet and walk. You can be doing all that around here. And they're policing the situation like the Pharisees do. And he goes, the man who healed me because he didn't even know who Jesus was. Mm -hmm. So how in the world did he have enough faith? If he didn't even know who Jesus was, was kind of my initial thought. And, I'm reading through the commentary, and there, you know, MacArthur, like MacArthur does, he's commentating, and he says, you know, <laughs> one of the cruelest lies of faith healers today, and he's going off, but he talks about the sovereignty of God in that section of the commentary, that Jesus, at times, is moved with compassion and moved by people's faith. Other times, he just heals because he's Jesus, and he does it, but here's the core of it. He's sovereign and healing. You can't turn him into a formula, Right. and man... I lost him. I was crying at my desk like a little schoolgirl. Uh, the tears were falling, a big bearded tough guy or I thought I was, and the Lord just, I melted like wax. And I started weeping, I was crying, I was mourning. I was telling him I'm so sorry for all that I ever did. I started actually realizing that it wasn't just my parents were bad and, and I love them. They're not evil people. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But, and it wasn't, well, I'm gonna rail on my uncle now it was my sin i was the one who was loving the greed i was the one who was living the life it wasn't anybody's fault i'm the depraved sinner who needs christ and his grace and his grace poured out i repented and at that moment i committed i said i'm gonna be a gospel preacher i'm gonna preach the true gospel whatever that means or whatever that looks like whatever you want me to do lord i'll do it i'll serve this church i'll i'll do whatever our senior pastor says to do, I'll do anything. I just want to be obedient, and I want to follow you and preach the truth. So that was the corner turning. And uh, after that, it was just constant study, nose in the Bible, weighing everything I'd ever been taught.
0: Like a good Berean. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, let's take a break here. We're going to hear from our hosts at Midwestern Seminary. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students, equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest-growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging Word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. We're chatting with Kosti Hinn. Um, Here's a question that I think some people may have. Uh, Maybe we've been able to pick up on it. Where would you see yourself falling now? I mean, do you you know care for the categories cessationist continuationist uh charismatic anything like that um what's your thinking on um you know theologically uh, about the charismatic gifts now
1: we're going there huh
0: yeah well why not he, <laughs> you <laughs> don't need to give me a thesis just uh
1: <laughs> yeah i i won't um so here's where i've landed first of all i hate the term cessation It drives me nuts. It's a negative term in itself.
2: Um,
1: I, I am, I see certain gifts now in a non normative operation. So I know, I know that I know what people are saying though, that lumps me into cessation. I get that. But point being, yeah, I, I see today based on what the Bible teaches and what it looked like when the apostles went around and when you know, Peter and John and Paul, and when they literally shot for shot, they looked like what Jesus was doing. It was silver and gold have I none, that which I have, give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. Boom, 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 everywhere, automatic, without question, no process, no atmosphere, no music. I'm here, I got this gift, and I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to see that the gospel's legit, the church is being established. This Jesus guy was for real. You missed him, but here he is again through us, and we're going to show it to you and be his witnesses, and he's going to save you too. That is what I view as the apostolic ministry of the early church. And I do see places in the New Testament in which it's clear that the apostles laid a foundation and they wielded, I use the word wielded, they wielded these gifts. So does God heal today? Absolutely, I view that without question. Um, No Bible-believing cessationist, guy who wears that title, should ever say God doesn't heal. That's crazy talk, he's a supernatural God. And yet I do, I do view things as non-normative today. So yeah, I, I land in, if you want to call it the cessationist camp, but okay. I can't stand the term that's associated with saying that the spiritual gifts aren't for today. Um, yeah. That's another just really, really poor uh, definition.
0: Yeah. So you, you, you're like the Calvinist who doesn't like to be called a Calvinist. Well, I don't really like yeah, the term. And then when you ask them what they believe in, it's basically Calvinism. <laughs> sure.
2: I, I, yeah.
0: You know, I don't want to label you, but I'm going to label you a cessationist. Okay, uh, so um, let's move on. Uh, uh, tell me about your ministry now. So what does your ministry look like? Tell me about your position there at the church and, and what ministry life is like today.
1: Yeah, so when I told you I got converted and, and told the Lord I'll do anything, he took it seriously. <laughs> I... Have, I, I was the youth pastor at that time, uh, bivocationally. I then came on full-time as the family life pastor, then I was the children's pastor, then I was the adult ministries pastor, and most recently, uh, about four months ago, the church asked me to assume the role of executive pastor. In, I'm a very odd executive pastor. Most of them, I think, are corporate types first, and then they, they learn. Shepherding or whatever, I'm I'm a people guy. I'm a preacher. I'm a lover of God's word and His people. And I'm learning the corporate aspect. So I'm an executive <laughs> pastor who uh, is trying to bring order to human resources. At the same time, I, I'm new to it all. So yeah, that's my role now.
0: Gotcha. Hey, um, tell me, what are some signs? Do you think um, of a of a soft prosperity gospel? Right. Most of our listeners. Um, I think would be pretty adept, if not all of our listeners would be pretty adept at identifying. Okay, that's word of faith. That's health and wealth. That's prosperity gospel. You know, my church, my preaching, my teaching isn't like what I see on TBN or or what have you. Um, and yet, I'm convinced, perhaps you are as well, that there's a kind of soft prosperity gospel that ekes its way into the life and ministry of the normal or the normative evangelical church. So um, if you agree with that, what are some signs you think? What are some ways of, of preaching or doing ministry that you know sort of evidence this soft prosperity gospel?
1: Yeah, I do agree with you. One would be that everything is always good news and positive, and there's no difficult statements. You think back to when everybody was following Jesus because he was turning water into wine and bread and fish into a massive buffet. And then when the multitudes were following him, he would give them something tough. Like he'd say, Hey, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your brother, if there's not a lesser love for them than me, or he would say, if you don't do this, you can't be my disciple. And people would go, well, I'm out. That's not what I signed up for. Um, There's a difficulty and there's a, there's a weight that's why we need grace the gospel's impossible i can't save myself I, my comfort can't save me my ease of life no positive message can the reality of sin is dark and it's really it's tough to hear but equally then we give people the good news so uh, that god's grace is sufficient so i would view that as a, a bit of a soft prosperity gospel as these it's i would categorize it as self help even though I know there can be some good self-help, like when you teach people how to exercise spiritual discipline in your daily life in prayer, those are good self-help. You're teaching people how to, but when it is non-biblical and you're teaching people how to be a better you or how to be a better whatever, um, we need bad news so we can rejoice over good news. And that would be one. Another one would be comfort in our preaching and comfort in our churches uh, I'm in Orange County, and I'll tell you what, man, it is tough to put together a team of people sometimes who want to go to India and deal with the smell and the slums and go do some good old-fashioned Acts 1-8, be my witnesses ministry, <laughs> when they've got to leave the manicured medians that, I mean, our, our the medians in our, in our in our roadways, are better than probably what anything you have in Missouri. We have palm trees that are imported, (laughs) and they're at a stoplight. It's ridiculous. Hmm. So you take my corporate salary, you take my beautiful home, and you take my really nice Lexus, you take that, my nice suit, my feeling good every day with the rest of corporate America and Orange County, and you want me to go to India? And there's a big disconnect. So a big soft prosperity gospel is, I'm happy here. I'm American. I'm living the dream. I don't want to go anywhere. Yeah. And there, the blood of the martyrs, the the work of Paul and the missionaries, the blood of Jesus, obviously, and giving his life, the sacrifice that is, has gone before us as modern-day Christians has to be remembered. So good news versus bad news. And then um, we got to put our hands to the plow and chip a few fingernails and get a few bruises for the gospel and hmm. not stay comfortable.
0: Man, that's killer. What are your hopes for the church in the future? What's encouraging you right now about the landscape?
1: Uh, I My hope for the church for the future is biblical literacy so that people can allow the scriptures to help them discern what is and what isn't of God. What encourages me, I... I'm not just saying this. It's not a shameless plug. I when MB, The reason I chose Midwestern Baptist and the reason why um, I want to pursue my doctorate with you guys and I have a deep love for what you're doing, I, there's a lot of good seminaries, and anybody can go anywhere nowadays. So choosing a school matters. The for the church thing, what I'm encouraged by is there seems to be this whole next generation of people that are going crazy over the local church again. Yeah. We're not all about our institutions. We're not trying to start our own <clears throat> initiatives and 501c not people understand Jesus didn't promise to build your side project nonprofit and believe me, I'm all about building wells and we need people going to feed the hungry and we that's what Christians do. But those are the the peripherals that the church goes out and does, but the local church is really where we we are. It's where we worship together. It's where we train. It's where we get ready to go and be deployed out to go do those things. And I'm so encouraged when I see schools like yours and many others going, "Hey, let's get into the local church. Let's train people to be deployed for gospel ministry." So I love what Jesus loves. He promised to build His church, and I, I'm, I'm fired up. I think that equally uh, as dangerous and as dark as it looks with all the prosperity preaching and all the fame and celebrity and how they seem to dominate the airwaves, I don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel through the church. So I'm yeah. pumped, man. I'm ready.
0: That's awesome. Hey, you alluded to uh, a testimony earlier in the conversation. You said that you, you might want to share about that later. Is that something you can tell us about?
1: Absolutely. Uh, two months ago, my dad called me and said, Hey, I want to see the kids. we have We haven't, Connected a ton because, for obvious reason, you're not going to catch me at you know Morton Steakhouse with my uncle for dinner. I'm not faking <laughs> this. I'm not, I'm not telling you one thing and then I'm like, hey, you know, I'll take a check on the side from uh, my prosperity family. <laughs> uh, that so my dad called. He said, "Toss, I'd love to see the kids. I'd love to connect." And I said, "Well, I think we have some things to talk about first And uh, we did. And I'll tell you what, man, it was another one of those kind of weeping moments between a father and a son as, as we got really honest about some of the things that we've lived together. And my dad flat out told me, he just said, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, your mom and I sold the house up in Canada. I said, wow. really? I said, yep. And he said, and, and we've been paying some people back that we ripped off. And I named a guy from from Texas. I went, on to tell you. And I said, him? He goes, Yep. I cut him a check, paid him back. I said, "Well, how you making? How you making money? How you living?" He said, "I'm helping people take tours to Israel." I said, "You're not preaching prosperity." He goes, "Nope." Wow. He said, "And your mom has been burning these books, you know, tossing them out." The and I'll, I'll be nice and not name names, but basically all your all your famous women prosperity ladies. Wow. Um, he said, "She's been, you know, just look." We listen to the inter- we don't necessarily agree with how you're the way you do it i I don't think God has called me to that I said that's okay <laughs> he said, maybe maybe your calling is to go out there and die on this hill but um, for us we we've been asking big questions and right now that's caused some anger for particular family members but many others are encouraged and we're really proud of you Keep going. Don't ask us to do any interviews with you. Don't ask us to say anything right now. We're just trying to figure out left and right and obey God. But um, we want you to know that we're listening and we're, we're, we're reading and we're, di- we're really trying to discern what God would have for us. I, man, I'll tell you what, that's it right there. That's yeah. what this is. I don't want to make money. I don't want to have some big rescue ministry with my face on it i'm not i don't want to be anything i just want to be a witness of the gospel and i want my family saved i want people saved if we write books they need to equip people if we preach sermons they need to help people and save people and it's the gospel so um i'm fired up jared that just got it was so energizing to hear but there's more people that need the truth and need to be saved
0: yeah praise god that's beautiful brother All right, final question. We all want to know, what kind of car do you drive now?
1: I drive a 2006 Suzuki Reno. It's burnt orange. (laughs) What? It has has 106. So... All, man, all that's not, that's
0: not it. Amber level, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, we had one car for a while. My wife and I drove a Kia Soul and shared it. And yeah. then just this last year we were able to afford a family car cause we've got almost three kids and we did, Then I didn't have a car and somebody in the church was like, Ben, you, you need help. I'm like, I, <laughs> so they're like, we'll just sell you our old beat up car. And so somebody in the church sold me the car and, uh, so I, I think when it breaks down, if I buy like a a newer Camry or something, I yeah. do not don't everybody think that I've hit the big one and now I'm preaching prosperity. So, <laughs>
0: hey, you know. sow a seed, brother.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. Well, you got me beat. I'm driving a 2007, so you're a little more holy uh, than I am, <laughs> I,
2: I guess. <laughs>
0: yes. Costi, thanks so much, brother. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Jared.
0: We've been speaking with Kosti Hen, executive pastor at Mission Bible Church in Tustin, California, student at Midwestern Seminary, and a frequent contributor to the For the Church website. FTC.co is your URL for that site. I hope you've been encouraged by his story, as encouraged as I have been. And as always, if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Review us on iTunes. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.